Thank you, thank you, Janet Lee. I'll tell you, your rhythm and hands on that organ is like a dancing swan. And I do want to let the fathers out there know that you told me to tell them you dedicated that last song, Faith of Our Fathers, to them. And thank you again. And hello and God bless you fathers out there on this Father's Day. Because, you know, that's a big, big thing. We have, you know, Father Abraham. We have Father Jacob. And we have Father Isaac. And even though they were long parted from the earth, Jesus, when he gave reference to them, said, God is not the God of the dead. God is the God of the living. And so that Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac were still alive. So you fathers understand that the, the acts of living, the acts of loving your family, the acts of working your jobs, the acts of doing the things that belong to the Spirit of God live on and on forever. God bless you so much. And now, we want to go on with this um, incredible teaching that we're doing that is about the whisper of Satan. And um, it's exciting. I think, if I'm remembering right, we're on part 13. But if that's not quite right, well, you'll straighten it out. You know, there's a scripture in Psalms 110.1, and it said, And the Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And Jesus quoted this scripture and challenged the Pharisees and Sadducees to understand it. Now, what would we say that that means? The Lord said to my Lord. Well, someone would say, well, that's talking about the Father is one of the Lords, and then Jesus Christ is the Lord. And so that would be saying that the Father spoke to the Lord Jesus and said, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That sort of sounds possible, but it doesn't sound exactly how the Bible story goes. Because in the Bible story, it's really Jesus that is coming back on the white horse and doing the battles and doing the war to defeat the forces of darkness. So we're not taking anything away from the Father, which art in heaven, But we can't really say that that particular scripture in the full context of the 30, 60, 100-fold would refer to the Father. There has to be another meaning in the folds that is there. And wouldn't that be interesting to really have the understanding of it? And God willing, before this series is over, you will have it. There's a scripture in Hebrews 1.9 
God, even thy God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above the fellows, or above your fellows, or the fellows. Hebrews 1.9. There is a lot of lack of understanding when it comes to knowing things about the Word of God. People just haven't got it down, so they don't understand it. We've been talking on these time gates of some incredibly interesting things. Things that are quite different from what a lot of denominational churches preach it and other rectorial kind of individuals who are in their own kind of religion teach it. We're not judging them, nor are we putting them down. But we understand that the Bible says, you know, in Revelations, it says, And Satan, which deceiveth the whole, W-H-O-L-E, the whole world. Wow. We got to understand the extent of the kingdom of Satan. We have to understand that in Revelation 13, I think it's 13 through 14, that the Bible says that Satan is going to deceive the whole world. We have to understand that the Bible says in Revelation 13, 4 through 8, that he is going to overcome the saints. He's going to overcome, that Satan is going to overcome the saints. And it does not appear that any of the people on earth in mortal bodies as earthlians on the human side are going to be the ones involved in the victory. And and this is so different because, you know, I, I've seen movements where they talk about we're going to be kings and priests and, and we're going to be the ones God uses to defeat the forces. Well, in the long of, of the long, that may be true in some individual cases. But it won't happen by you in your human mortal body that was from this planet Earth. Or that was, we shouldn't say from this planet Earth, but that was an occupier from this, from this planet Earth. And I'll have to explain that because I think it's a little touchy. Because it tells us in Jude, it tells us in different scriptures, even in the Old Testament, that the Lord is coming with tens of thousands of his saints. And there's a connection to Enoch in that. And we have to understand that the victory that finally does come, and it doesn't come to way, 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 long, long up the road, comes from the saints in the line of the Melchizedek order, in the line of Enoch, 
who are from the Father's house. That's where it comes. That's what the Bible teaches. And the victory over Satan, the ultimate victory, doesn't really happen until Revelations 12.10, or 20.10, beg your pardon, Revelations 20.10, when Satan and the beast and the false prophet are all cast into the lake of fire, which is basically at the, at the time of the closing of the universe, when all the universe is beginning to gravitate together in a gigantic compression and ultimately become a singularity and that these spirits will all become compressed in that singularity. So, as I say, Revelations 13, verse 7, says that Lucifer, Satan, will overcome the saints. We've got to get this straight. We've got to get it straight. But God made a provision for God's people to escape, in Revelations 14.1, if you have the Father's name written in your forehead, you will not be forced to take the mark of the beast. And you talk about the word rapture or being carried away. That's going to be the thing that happens. You either are going to be destroyed, murdered by Satan's evil plots, or you're going to have a rapture, you're going to have a getting away like Elijah did, like Enoch did, and be taken to the Father's house. But, you know, the Bible tells us in the 12th chapter of Revelations that the woman went into the wilderness where she would be nourished for a time, time, and a half time. And the wilderness is, is spoken of about how that Satan turns this world into a wilderness. And we know that he's constantly after this woman, which represents the church or the orphanims. And this time, time and a half times is, you know, described in, in Daniel uh, 9.24. It's called 70 weeks. And these 70 weeks are going to finish the transgression. They are going to, they are going to make an end of sins. And they're described in Psalms 105 and Psalms 90. meaning 70 generations, not family generations when you start a new family, but life generations. And then that times a God generation so that you end up with 70 to 80,000 years. And the woman is going to be there for that time, time and a half times. So sometimes it'll give years or days or months and it'll end up, if you add it up, it'll end up uh, equaling three and a half years. Well, the three and a half years is just another way and there is a pattern and a, and a relationship why it uses those terms. But it's just another way of saying the time, time and a half times.
And those three and a half years are actually representing the time, time and a half times, which is referring to the generations, these 70 to 80,000 generations. <clears throat> so, um, it is interesting. Yes, Revelation seventeen twelve through 14, you know, talks about a war with the, with the Lamb, and the Lamb's going to overcome the forces. And in Revelation 19.11, the white horse is going to go forth and judge and make war. But this is at the end of, of time, ladies and gentlemen. The end of time. So you've got to really get that down. But it's not tomorrow. It's not the next day. It's not a week or month or year or two from now. It's going to go on and on and on. Now, the Bible says in Revelations 19.12, there is a name written that belongs to the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, no man knows that name but the Lord himself. He is the only one that knows what that name is. It's a secret name. Can you imagine that? But the name is written. Where is that written at? It's written. A name that no man knows but he himself. Well, it's interesting that just in the next verse from 1912, which mentions that a name written no man knows, to 1913, it speaks about Christ appearing clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So his name is called the Word of God. So now it tells what his name is. Except that even though you hear it, you, don't, you still don't know what it is. Unless you know what the, what, what the Word is. And so the only way you are going to really know the Word is by transimbuement and by transingeneration into Jesus Christ which we call trans-assimilation, taking on the nature of Christ, taking on His blood, His blood life, not the spilled blood, but His blood life. And so, that's the only way you're really going to know what the Word says, is by trans-assimilation to Jesus Christ. Because that name is written in the living of his life, of which the Bible says in the last chapter of the book of John, in last verse, if all the things were written that should be written about Jesus Christ, that the world could, could hardly be able to comprehend it. And that's the reason why that not everybody and anybody can know the name of Christ, the real name. There's a real name because that real name reveals a real history that most people have no idea about. There's multi-millions of people that still have Jesus hanging on the cross. There's millions of people that still have Jesus in the tomb. 
And yet there is a, a, a life of glory before Jesus ever even came to this earth. An angelic revelation. And until you know that secret name and you can understand the unfolding of that name, because it is written, it's, it, it is the word of God, then you don't really know about Jesus and all the things that should be written that you should be able to read. You can't read because you don't have the revelation or the knowledge and maybe you don't even have the desire. I hope and pray not. Wow. That truly is exciting. Truly, absolutely exciting. Okay. We talked about 12.1, about there appeared a great wonder in heaven, and how that the meaning of that, in the Greek 45.92, concordance, strongs, was that the word wonder actually could be translated, and really best translated that way, as a sign or signs. And, and it incorporated also as, as um, the Strong's Greek Concordance 4591, which I've shared with you this before, uh, a mark, an indication, a signification. And uh, we see that there are other uses of the word wonder, as I also explained to you before. In Revelation 17.8, in Greek Concordance 22.96, where wonder means something totally different. doesn't mean a sign. It means to admire. We talked about the crowns on her head were crowns of glory. And we, we talked about, you know, the principal revelation of that being the, the circuits of God. <clears throat> I'm just trying to Resweeten up a few little things so that you don't lose the connection to all this ministry and teaching we're trying to do in this Time Gate series and of the revelation of the whispers of Satan. There are forensic Bible proofs. There are meanings of scriptures like in Psalms 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And it says there is nowhere that that voice is not telling these things. It is speaking these mysteries. It is speaking these revelations. It is speaking these prophecies. It is speaking these glories in a continuum of happenings. And God is looking for people who will, who will be developing a profound growing as a, as a stair steps leading up to Jacob's ladder or staircase, so that sort of fulfill it like John, <clears throat> when John in fifteen one said, "And I saw another sign in heaven," and in other places he'd say, "I saw another angel." You know, don't be satisfied with just one sign. Don't be satisfied with just seeing one angel. Don't be satisfied with being in one level. God is moving his people up if they will let him. We talked last week or whenever it was, I think it was last week, but recently, 
about how that David has not ascended, how that he's still waiting because in Jeremiah thirty ninety nine, it says that Israel sh- shall serve David their king, whom I will raise up to them. And in Ezekiel 37, 17, 24, and 25, it says, Judah and Israel shall become one stick, and David my servant shall be king over them. Wow. Now, if you wanted the scripture for that the scripture that I quoted earlier about uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That was Psalms 1101, But in the New Testament, it's Mark 12, 36. And there's some kind of a mystery in that verse. And there's the Lord that that is being told, just stand by. Stand by till I go out and and I turn things totally around with this thing of Satan. And I make these enemies, these satanic demons and followers to become a stool, to become a footstool. So there's one that is standing by, one Lord that's standing by. And that Harley is the father because Harley would be saying, you know, to the Father, you don't have to do nothing. I'm going to do it all. You just stand by. Because Jesus said, I don't do anything but when I get approval from the Father first. So the scenario don't quite fit. So who is this that is standing by, that is being prepped for a special job in the kingdom of the Ophanims? Well, no doubt in my mind that it's Dominius. This is the Lord Dominius. And Jesus says, stand by. I'm going to bring the forces of the enemy to a defeat. I've got the approval from my father. So stand by, Dominius. Wow. That does more than scratch the surface. Well... The Bible teaches us, and we preached on this before, to magnify the Lord. And as we magnify the Lord, we begin to see His name and to understand His name and the message. Now, not too long ago, we, uh, as a group of us, took a journey, a voyage in space and time, a voyage even to the fringe where we were hurtling through the cosmic interstellar space on a journey of journeys. It wasn't an illusion. It was a manifold continuum that incorporated the past, the present, and the future as they in God all exist at once. 
Some people might call that a secret of quantum physics, but it's really a revelation of God. And on that virtual journey, we took the Holy Manifest book to the stars and sent the message, we sprinkled it into the the space and the heavens and sent the message out to stars in the universe and met with the Ancient of Days. And the end of that experience hasn't even begun to be shown. There is a desynchronization going on out there in the science world. An observation that the consequences of some of their theories is not quite a whole piece of actual proven scientific matter. I once wrote the manifest concept, uh, and I read it ever so often. Before the genesis of universal order, when as yet the clock of creation had not yet begun to tick, in the fastness of the perpetuation of time God, God with piercing eye looked beyond the pure energy realm of the first domain, and seeing the great darkness said, I am saddened because of the void of empty space. Let there be light. Then God was moved with compassion, and his love lifted him to think of creation's world without end worlds without end. Furthermore, he said, let wheels of energy fill space with magnets of fire, swirling at great speeds, and let my will be written in every aspect of substance. Thus it came to be that once upon a star day long ago, in the time of the eighth uniworld, in the time of the universe, dotted disk of the reillions of matter, moved in streams of motion within the body of space. The swirl of life was strong in the force of energy prevalent throughout the system. Evolving, generations began to fill the universe. Therefore, many creations arose. Oh, there is so much. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11.3, it says, Things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. Through faith, the worlds were framed by the Word of God. That's the name of Jesus, the Word of God. When you're reading the Bible and you're looking at the words of the Bible, the verses, the, 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 the letters, the individual words, the, 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 the chapters... These are things that you see. But what you have to understand is those things that you see, which are words put in order as a message. But those things you see with those words put in order as a message, They are actually made of things or of energies or of power that do not appear. When you are reading the scriptures, when you are reading the verses, 
the ultimate reality does not appear. You don't need to think. You can just pick up the Bible and say, okay, let me turn here. Aha, okay, this is what it means. Yeah, that may be what it says. But as to whether that is what it means or not, you have to deal with the 30, 60, 100 fold to get the full depth. And without the full depth, depth, you cannot get the total consequences and the total beauty and the total holiness and the total history. So that things that you are looking at You have to understand the scripture says that they're made of things that don't appear. It does not appear there. You're looking through a glass darkly. You can't really see the message. You can't really see the word. You can't really get the understanding. You can't really understand the the deep, deep, deep until you are trans-assimilating Jesus Christ who is the word. When you trans-assimilate Jesus Christ to where you know, and it's not meaning that you're going to look like him, act exactly like him. He's not, he's not wanting a bunch of clones. But it means it, with your personification, with your, your image, your nature, you will take on the reality of his lifeblood, the blood of Jesus Christ that has, is relative to faithfulness to God, love of God, caring, and the consecration of patience and consideration for all other people, not having a respecter of persons. Because it was through faith that the worlds, W-O-R-L-D-S, the worlds were framed by the Word of God. And that's everything in the world, including the Bible. It's framed by the Word of God. If you want to know the frames, if you want to know the lattice, if you want to know what the, the real message is, then you have to get into the understanding of that. Now, we've talked about how that it is said that 95% of the universe is made out of Dark energy and dark matter. And, and the Bible gives us scriptures about those things. Second Samuel 22.19 Psalms 18.11 Psalms 105.28 which even talks about this pavilion that is built within this darkness. That the effect of all of those words, which are 95% knowledge about what the universe is, is not known by the scientists, it's not known by the various orders of different searching aspects of various multiple minds. Because there's this darkness that blocks it. And since that is a revelation in one sense that God compared things to, which he said, you know, the things on earth are patterns. 
They're shadows and types of things in the heavenlies. So if that is a, a, is a pattern, then you could say that 95% of the revelation of the Bible is like dark energy and dark matter. It's not known, it's not understood, and people are just skimming the surface. And it's an amazing thing. Absolutely amazing. Well, that brings us to this thought. There are treasures in the names and the words of the Bible. Absolutely incredulous, awesome, full of grace and signs, full of love and wonderment treasures in these names. Bible names can contain revelation. They can contain ancient history, divine callings, prophecies of the future. Names can tell about rebellion or acts of glory. Names can relate of meanings about people and places and cities and countries and and angels, mountains and rivers, and even about history, not of this earth. There is a word in the Old Testament called Eliakim, E-L-I-A-K-I-M. And it is a deep beyond truth. And it means... God rises. God rises. For God to rise doesn't mean that he has to be sitting down or laying down. Perhaps tired, resting. Or is the meaning so much deeper than that? that it just is a shaking and a rushing mighty wind to really understand it. God rises. Why, in that Eliakim revelation of the deep beyond of, the, of truth, there is potentiated the story of when God with his first presence, separated himself from his creations and began to create the first domain. God rises. There's the story in a name. Who would ever think to look in a name to find a whole story? Who would even imagine such a possibility? A whole story about going back in time before this this universe was even created. God rises. And the meaning of that. And of course there's other names to support. But just that one alone gets it going. So here we go. We're going to take a break. 
Janet Lee is at the Baldwin, Oregon. God bless her.
Thank you again, Janet Lee. Thank you so much. That was just beautiful. Okay, let's move on. We've got a lot to cover here. So, this thing about names, truly, we are talking about treasures. And the power in the name. Like, when God changed Abram's name to Abraham, it was a prophecy. But just the making of that prophecy enabled him to fulfill this great thing. And so, it's amazing. Um, Genesis 17, 1 through 5, God changes Abram's name to Abraham, and the name Abraham means father of many nations. Wow. What an incredible thing to happen by the, just the change of a name. Then God changes um, Sari, S-A-R-A-I, to Sarah. So, Sarai to Sarah. And the change then is actually means, and that word Sarah, mother of many nations. Now we've got Abraham, we've got Sarah, and we got the father of many nations, we got the mother of many nations. So you find that in Genesis 17, 1 through 5, and for, for the Abraham to, uh, name, and in Genesis 17, 15 through 16, for, for the, the Sarah name. So we see that as we come to understand the infill and the message in a name, that knowing it increases the power of Bible language. As we begin to understand what the message is that God is portraying, and speaking by understanding the names and understanding words, then we begin to come into true manifest, made-known revelation because the power of the Bible language is being increased and magnified. In the time of Jesus, in the New Testament, the name Simon was changed to Peter, which means little stone. John 1, 40, 42. Now, sometimes a person thinks little, that's insignificant. But you see, it's just the opposite. Because things that you easily see are made of things that do not appear. And so, when you get into this revelation of, you know, the little stone then you are actually getting into something that is very close to that idea of not being able to be understood or seen or known. Because in the, the art of its smallness, sort of like atomic, it can't be seen by the natural unaided eye. 
And so this, this incredible revelation of this little stone is about the depth of revelation and the depth of prophecy and the depth of future that relates to Simon and then relates to the whole Christian uh, uh, race. Check that out in John one forty through 42. Then we have John and James. And Jesus takes the name of John and James and calls them sons of thunder. That was in Mark three thirteen through 17. And the sons of thunder thing is about the Artursians. It's about the, you know, the, the offspring of Enoch, uh, the father's house people. And it's an incredible story. And Jesus went out of his way to change those names, uh, which was along the order of how God was doing the, doing the name-changing business back in the Old Testament. All for the actuation of increasing the power of Bible language so that the point, the appointment is there. And as people begin to come into those revelations, they begin to see those things. Now something similar to Peter happened to Paul. Paul was changed from Saul to Paul. Well, the name Saul actually can have the meaning of death. So he changed his name from death to Paul, which means small, little. And we think in the book of Revelation about the little book. And that little book had the revelation of the seven thunders in it. And the manifest calls it the book of little things. And that's what was the revelation that was changed to, to Paul. And we've got Jacob who was a, a single uh, individual person. And when he was involved with the wrestling with the angel, out of all that came <clears throat> a new name from Jacob to Israel, which now had in it the name of God. El at the end of Israel had the name of God in it, changed Jacob to Israel. Jacob, with his Jacob name, meaning several negative consequential meanings, but now changed to Israel. Oh, a whole deep and on and on and on revelation. So, the God of beginnings and transitions has written into everything, as it says in, in Psalms 19, that there is no place in the universe that his language, that his revelation is not heard. But there are just some people that he that hath an ear, let them hear. There are some people who just don't have the ear to hear, or the desire, or the longing, or the yearning. Now, we've been talking about Dominius, and in the Latin, when you get into the Latin, and remember, there's all kinds of scriptures in the Bible, and uh, 
We'll try to have time to reveal them. But there's Dominius Tecum, or Tecum. And um, this was used in Luke 1, 26 through 37, when the angel Gabriel said to Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, that that was a lead-in when when the angel said to her, Hail Mary. And then he completes it, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Now, not every time that it mentions Lord does it mean Jesus Christ. And when we start using these words like is with you, words like with can, you know, can actually, uh, the words that are translated to, inter- to, to say with can actually translate to say in, is in you. Here we have a scripture upon which if we had the time to build, we could show the connection between Mary and Dominius. Because the word Lord here actually is the word Dominius from which it is translated. Even in the calendar, Anno Dominii, Anno Domini, Year of the Lord. This Dominius thing will not go away. There are hidden, mysterious meanings in the text. In words and phrases, Dominius has been known to mean holding the the infinite, holding the golden key, so that Blessed is he who comes in the Lord's name, in Dominius's name. It's what the real word is. So we have Dominius. Me, in dectori, abstin dictorum, my God stands. Which has all kinds of meanings. You see, as God's people begin to come into this new composition with Jesus Christ, which they are taking on, His nature, which Jesus said, eat my flesh and eat my blood. He's not just talking about his spiritual na- nature when he was in, in heaven. He's talking about eat my flesh and my blood. Take on my, how I lived in the flesh, how I, I handle things in, in my bl- life's blood. See, something's happening with God's people in this manifest revelation call. They are starting to know how to fly their Ophanim wings. This Ophanim wings revelation is about the Ophanim history. 
And they're beginning to learn to fly their opening wings because that's a part of that part which is a part of them. We, we see how that there is an eye of God, but the eye of God is not a, a, sing, a singular. It is it's a multiplicity. And we see in the New Testament how it talks about, you know, uh, some of the, the good entities that had many eyes. And, and we, as we begin to come into that, that multiple understanding of language and the many-eye revelation, the hidden truth of once upon a time begins to be revealed in the tree of soul's history, which is part of the tree of life mystery and is part of the mystery of the names that have been written down in the book of life, which includes every one of you out there listening to this message right now. Your names are written down in the book of life. Oh, what does that mean? Just name written there? Oh, yeah. But it would, it's a whole story. Because your name, and you're not just one name, you've got multiple names. In the Old Testament, you can find it very clear that there's people that had several different names they were referred to. And that's true in the, in the, in the New Testament also. You see, God is bringing us into a methodology that Paul used, which was abstract. He would use an abstract point to prove the logic of a realism. As we get into this abstract revelation of threading and unfolding of Bible names, we begin to capture the shape and the rhythm of words as to their inner meanings. And it is just an attractive, awesome, alluring, beautiful thing. Wow. The Vulgate Bible, the, the Latin Bible, oh, there is so much. In Second Chronicles 15.2, it talks about Azarias, filled with the Spirit of God. But there are connections even in scriptures like that to, to Dominius. Dominius Bobiscum, the Lord is with you. The Lord be with you. Found in Numbers 14.42. 1 Samuel 17.37, Ruth 2.4, Psalms 1.6, that once you translate the word Lord, you will see the Dominius or the Domini, like for instance that can mean blessed. Wow. You know, the Vulgate, English, for Lord, is translated in the, Vulgo, uh, the Vulgate Latin to Dominius. 
And Jerome, one of the greatest architects of translations, changed the divine name from Jehovah to Dominius. And Dominius can mean even mean church or it can mean Lord or it can mean master. In Genesis 2 7 it says, And whatsoever Adam called ever living creature, that was the name. There is something so awesome as we begin to get into this Bible unfold of Dominius and how that it is very natural for two entities. One that is the Lord of hosts and who is going to co-own another person that is being made an archangel so that there is now going to be a second in command of the Ophanims who that person is Dominius and how the whole connection to this revelation of Dominius is nothing less than a beautiful understanding <coughs> of a God that stands. Of a God that does not go down in defeat. Of a person, Dominius, who was holding on to inf the infinite. Who was holding on to the golden key. Wow. Wow. It is nothing less than exciting. There are, are important names of God. Now let's start thinking about that, especially as we're referring to Jesus Christ. Abba, Adonai, Alpha, Bread of Life, Creator, El Shaddai, Everlasting Shepherd, Holy One, I am Emmanuel, Jehovah, Lord, Master, Messiah, Omega, Prince of Peace, Redeemer, Resurrection. Someone says, well, that wasn't one of his names. Yeah, Jesus said, I am the Resurrection. Savior, Son of David, Son of Man, Spirit, Teacher, Beginning of the End. The Lamb of God, true vine, wonderful. The Bible says his name is wonderful. Yahweh, Yahweh, El. There is a rainbow mystery being un unfurled here. As we begin to weave these rainbow visions, we move from out of the UFO, the unknown flying objects. We move from out of the UGD, the unknown God, who the pagan made inscriptions to, to where we have a relationship of knowing who God is. And when we see that 
the same person as both Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, there's a message there. There's a wonderful, wonderful message there. And it's nothing less than glorious and beautiful. And in all these names, why does a person need so many names? Because every one of these names describes something different. Bread of life, creator. Bread of life doesn't mean a creator. Creator doesn't mean bread of life. Those are two different stories. Holy one, shepherd, two different stories. Adonai, Abba, I am, Emmanuel, Lord, Master, Messiah, Omega, Prince of Peace. That's a really interesting thing on that Prince of Peace thing. The Bible's very clear about he is the Prince of Peace. And that when he left the planet, that was one of the things that he left is that they would come into peace. But there is a place in which Jesus said, do you think that I come to bring peace? I say to you, nay, I do not. But you see, without understanding the two different natures of Jesus Christ as being manifested, the Son of Man nature, which he is not leaving peace in the Son of Man nature, because the Son of Man, which is flesh, cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. But the Son of God has all of the inheritable rights and can inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so that is where we ascribe the peace to. And that is so absolutely important. It's all these names. And there are so many. And then there are names that that lead to various consequences of understanding. That it's just absolutely enthralling. We talked a while back when we were getting into all this about in Proverbs 8.22, wisdom is calling in the places of the paths. There are paths, ladies and gentlemen. P-A-T-H-S, paths. But wherever that is, in your life or in your beliefs or in your faith, wisdom is calling to take you deeper, to get you out of the, the milk ministry into the meat ministry. Wisdom is crying at the gates, the time gate, so you can understand what the story really is about. Wow. And we talked last week about Ezekiel 1, 20. Wheresoever the Spirit was to go, they went, for the Spirit of the living creature was in the wheel. I want to invite you to get into the wheel of these teachings, into the circuit of these teachings. I want to invite you that wheresoever the mighty rushing wind, the quickening of these revelations yearns to take you, that you will get into it. And you will be, begin to see scriptures like Revelations 22, 6 and 16, where it talks about his angel, the angel of, of, of Yahweh, is talking about Dominius. And Revelations 19, 11, 
Uh, I believe it's uh, 17, or I'm not sure of that, <clears throat> but you can find it there. The angel standing in the sun. We talked about that. Wow. Dominius is destined to become a co-archangel to Yahweh Jude 9 says, And the Lord rebuked thee. Well, we could say, Who is this Lord? We say it's Jesus Christ. But that's only a 60-fold understanding. If we want to take it into the deepest fold, we have to understand that anyone that's co-owned to Jesus Christ is not just co-owned to Jesus Christ because the Jesus Christ name will not be forever. Because at some point, everyone that can be saved will be saved. And the name Jesus for Savior won't need to be used anymore. And there's another name, the Bible says, that no one knows but, but the Lord. And so, as people come into the Kowinian, they are coming into his name his nature. And so they are doing these things by and through his nature, but at the same time, their, their personification is also advanced into that happening also, uh, additionally. Wow. It's like I can almost feel and hear the sound of the cherubim wings. They're ready to fly beyond the outer court. They're ready to fly over the inner court. And that angel standing in the sun is, who is Dominius is getting ready here in the future to take on the archangel status. And the Lord rebuked thee Anything that you're doing in the name of the Lord can be you plus the Lord. The Lord cometh with legions. Every one of those legions can say, you know, I'm coming with the Lord. The thing I'm doing is, is the Lord. Wow. The kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of God. And Matthew 6.10, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 30, 60, 100 fold. Kingdom, D-O-M, abbreviation for domain, for dominius. Dominius is going to take a stand. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus. There is so much. There is so wonderfully much. 
excuse me, the angel Dominius is truly an angel elect. And he is truly an angel that the scriptures talk about. And there's more and more to talk on the subject as we get up the road. Blessed be the name of God Almighty. The Bible tells us in St. John 1, 10 through 11, in the, in the reconciliation of ascending and descending, he was in the world. The world in this verse here means cosmos, universe. When you look up world in Strong's Concordance Greek 2889, it's cosmos. He was in the universe, and the universe was made by him, but the universe knew him not. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. Until you are able to get into the Spirit and see the Holy Dove, the Holy Spirit descending upon the message of Jesus and the Word of Jesus and the dispatched revelation of Jesus, you will not have any verification that the people bearing this message are operating in the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are not the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're operating in his spirit. Because that's how the descending of the Holy Spirit works. And no man is going to ascend to heaven except he that came down from heaven. And that's how you're going to get into heaven. And that's how you're going to get into the, to know his name and into the deep word. It's through Jesus Christ. And that is the only name that's been given to us whereby a man may be saved. But as we move on and we endure into the end in that salvation, the doors are opened and we begin to learn his mysterious other name, which is imbued in the word of God. I once wrote that song, the word of God is so beautiful, the word of God is so beautiful, and truly, 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 that is right. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. And in an exclamation in the epistle of John, chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, it says, we saw him in the physical and touched his mortal body. Jesus is revealed as the Son of Man and the Son of God. But you will need to see him and know him in the revelation of his physical body to prepare you 
for the revelation of his spiritual body and his spiritual message. The Bible says that the Lord himself, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, shall descend from heaven with the voice of an archangel. People have not been thinking about needing to understand Jesus as he speaks angelic language. But the Bible does tell us in the New Testament that there are tongues of the Holy Spirit of angels. And when Jesus comes, it's going to be speaking in a voice of, of an archangel, an angelic archangel. And God's people have got to get on the roll. And they've got to get their wings operating so that they can have the power of ascension. And they can really come into these wonderful things that Lucifer Satan has tried to destroy by wiping out their history and their record. The Bible talks in Isaiah 54, 16 about the waster. Well, there is a force out there that is a destroyer. Even Abaddon means the destroyer. And there's the terrors and there's the the wormwood. God has given us the insight, the knowledge to want to move up the ladder. The Bible says that the first seal that was opened in Revelation 6.1 is the white horse of peace, Prince of Peace. But then there is a, a second seal. And it is the red horse of war. So we have the seal that opens, Revelation 6, 1, the white horse peace, the white horse of peace, the peace ministry, the prince of peace, but immediately is available the seal that is the red horse of war, which is given unto the red horse to take peace from off the earth and to kill one another. What seal ministry are you in? Are you in a ministry, a church ministry, that they are dabbing, dabbling and just embroiled in the seal of the red horse, of the trouble and the disturbances? Ladies and gentlemen, back up. Get into this Revelation 6-1 first seal of the white horse of peace ministry. Well, we're going to back off. Janet Lee is coming to the organ. We've got a lot to finish. We'll just keep going with this till we finish this ministry. We love you. God bless you. More next.